Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who comes into this world and in the midst of suffering and in pain, you are there with us. And I pray, God, uh, that today, holding on to that promise of your presence, that you would be with us as we journey through this book and as we uh, seek to understand a little bit more about you and how you work in the good and in the bad. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, about, uh, gosh, I don't know how many years ago, but uh, when uh, Gretchen and I uh, had the opportunity to purchase our first house, it was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, my parents uh, came down to visit, and they came bearing gifts. And uh, you'd think it would be some nice little art piece or something to kind of tie the whole house together, but my dad wanted to take the moment to pass something down to me that was given to him. Uh, and what he came with were these two things right here. It was first uh, Reader's Digest Complete Do-It-Yourself Manual. Uh, does anybody have this book by chance? Had it, all right, somebody had it. And, uh, and he's like, don't worry, son, I also came with this one too, the <laughs> Fix-It-Yourself Manual. And uh, if you're not familiar with these editions of Reader's Digest, I had no idea what these things were or that they existed. Uh, inside of them are uh, about 500 pages each filled with all kinds of wisdom, filled with all kinds of instruction about how to fix certain things inside of your house, ranging from, seriously, how to fix a coffee maker to your doorbell and even... How to Fix a Canoe made it in one of the books, just in case you're wondering, because, you know, if a canoe was at your house and broke and all that sorts of stuff. And, um, and I remember my dad giving it to me, and I kind of looked at him, and I was like, hey, thanks, Dad. <laughs> really cool. And, uh, and in fact, that picture right there is taken uh, on our kitchen table. I believe that officially is the third time that I've opened that book, all right? Because uh, when something goes wrong at our house, when something needs to be fixed, I don't go to the Reader's Digest Fix It manual. I go to this place called YouTube. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, if you've heard of this site before, all right, just some crazy stats about YouTube real quick. Um, there are 300 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. I'm going to say that again. 300 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. Almost 5 billion videos are watched on YouTube every single day. YouTube gets over 30 million visitors per day. It's insane. And if you're curious to know... Does YouTube answer the question, how do I fix a canoe? The answer is yes. Because as you'll notice here, there are tons 
of responses and videos. I didn't even count how many there were, but if you need to know, there's some wisdom about how to do this. Now, you might be saying, okay, what in the world are we talking about right now? Well, the reality is this, that we are all seeking out wisdom in our lives. That when we come to problems, when we come to issues and things that are happening, we want some wisdom. We want somebody to speak in on the circumstance and situation that exists. That's why fix-it manuals exist. That's part of the reason why YouTube exists, is it's a place that you can go and learn from somebody to be wise, because nobody wants to be a fool. We want to learn from those who have been in the places where we are, whether it's a hole in our canoe or our doorbell not working or just issues in life that exist. And that's why for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at this book called the book of Job. And in the book of Job, it is classified as a wisdom book. It's a story of an actual man who goes through a struggle. And he's an expert on something. He could have created a YouTube video, but instead he's a book in the Bible. He's an expert on walking with God in the storm. For us, it's important to lean in on his words Because the reality is that we're all going to experience trial, tragedy, and suffering. So the question becomes, what do we do? And just to give you some quick little uh, pointers or facts, I guess you could say, about Job, is that uh, we know, as I just said, that Job is classified as uh, wisdom literature, The Bible has its genres, like music, it has its genres of writing. And uh, this book being one of wisdom. The other wisdom books that exist in the Bible are the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs. Job uh, could be classified, some scholars believe, as the oldest book of the Bible. And and with it, it's uh, a story that begins with this conversation of God and Satan. And we'll hear more about that conversation in a little bit. But then it moves to Job with a conversation with his friends in regards to his suffering. And then there's a pinnacle moment of this conversation between God and Job. (coughs) Excuse me. And if you're wondering in the larger narrative, uh, where's Jesus in this? Well, the event of Jesus' death and resurrection would happen thousands of years later even though God is in the midst of this. But I want to dive into the very first words, or rather where the video begins, in Job chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Bless you. We read uh, that... In the book of Job, right off the bat, that, that Job is one who, uh, who is uh, blameless and upright. He has lots of stuff as well, we later read in the next, uh, next verses. Uh, we read that he has lots of animals, which 
for us, what that means in kind of modern terms is that he had a lot of money. He was prosperous. Uh, he had the nice house. He had all of the things, two cars, probably two garages, the latest iPhone. Like Job had the stuff, all right? And we also read that Job had a family. He was blessed to have a family that, that was given to him. We learn early on, too, that Job feared God. And that's going to be something important. We're going to learn a little bit more of what that means later on here today. And then I love this statement that comes in the first chapter of Job. It says this, that he was the greatest, being Job, the greatest of all of the people of the East. Talk about putting that on your like Instagram profile, right? The greatest of all of the people of the East. Job wasn't like keeping up with the Joneses. He was the Joneses, right? I mean, he, he was a huge deal. He was the guy. And then we read, interestingly, that after this list of who Job is, we get a like behind the scenes moment, this conversation between God and, and Satan. It's really interesting. Because what happens is we read that, that Satan is kind of checking in on the people. And if you don't know, Satan is the evil one, the adversary of humanity. He's, his goal is to pull us away from God. And, and as he's checking in on people, God points out his servant, Job, who fears God and hates evil. And Satan responds this way. It's so fascinating. He says this. He says, Satan says to God, the only reason Job fears you, loves you, is because of all the stuff he has. Seriously. Satan's reply is the only reason that Job is so faithful to you, God, is because he's a big deal and he's got all of the stuff. And so God's response to that is also very interesting. He says, all right, let's see. God says that you can take everything from Job, except you cannot touch his health. And we'll see if he only fears me because of the stuff that he possesses and has. And so the story continues that Tegan was reading from here this morning, beginning in verse 13, we read that Job loses all of his animals, and some report comes back, and Job's like, all right, well, that's not good. There goes all my animals. And then he loses his family as well. Comes back, and he's like, man, this is not going well at all. And this is just in the first chapter of what's happening. Now, time out for a second from the story of Job, and just... Out of curiosity, raise your hand if uh, you have ever gone through suffering before in your life. Anybody? All right, by now, everybody's hand should be up, nice and loud, all right? We've all gone through some sort of pain, some sort of suffering in our lives. It could be as big as experiencing the death of somebody that we loved and lost them tragically, or like stubbing your toe on a piece of furniture. You know what I'm saying? That's like the worst. I don't know why our toes are so sensitive, all right? But it's suffering, it's pain. We all go through it. We all have experienced it before in our lives. 
And, and what's interesting for me as a pastor, as I collect connect cards and as I get to know people, I hear from people saying that when I'm going through suffering, my biggest question in the midst of suffering is why? Why would God, God Almighty, allow suffering to happen? In fact, we learn from our Ask Anything Sunday, and I think it'll continue to happen and as long as we do those Sundays, that that will be a pivotal question for people. Truthfully, that's probably a pivotal question for us here today in the room. And I want us to lean in today in particular. We're gonna spend a lot of time in this book and talk about many different angles of how to deal with suffering. But today, I wanna look at that question and give just three pieces of advice as we get into the why question of suffering that Job, I think, really teaches us early on. The first one is this. When it comes to, in the midst of suffering, number one, when it comes to the why of suffering, that we need to avoid simple answers. We need to be careful to avoid simple answers to the complexity of what suffering brings. Generally speaking, when suffering comes in people's lives, I would categorize that there are two common responses that are brought by people in our society today. The first one is this. Somebody would say, well, the reason that you're experiencing suffering in your life is a religious answer. You're suffering because you don't go to church enough. You're suffering because you're not reading your Bible enough. You're, you're experiencing suffering and pain. That person wasn't healed because you didn't pray hard enough. And, and when we hear those things, when we equate God to be that, we make God into like a red light camera. You know what I'm saying? And if you don't know what a red light camera is, come talk to my wife afterwards. We got hit up twice in the last couple of weeks from it. And I say we, I really mean me, all right? God's not some red light camera that is watching your every little move. And if you cross the line too much, then boom, suffering's coming. That's not how God works. In fact, we know that. Because when you look at the book of Job, we read from the very beginning that Job is an upright and blameless guy. It wasn't that he deserved suffering. And if we say these kinds of things, it wasn't that Job had made this cosmic mistake that brought on the suffering. That becomes a dead-end argument. But the second simple answer argument that is not healthy for us is that we become cynical or have a skeptic answer. And what I mean by that is that suffering, we say, is just some random event. It's just going to happen, and it just so happened that unfortunately I'm in that circumstance. And many people will use this argument to try to prove that God doesn't exist. Because if God existed, then he certainly wouldn't allow suffering to happen in this world. And if he exists, then he doesn't care enough. And, and the problem of this argument, again, and the complexity of suffering, 
is that when we look at the life of Job, that this is showing us and teaching us something larger about how God works in this world. And it's not that he's just in the good, that he is in the struggle as well. And so you might be saying, okay, well, it sounds like God is like kind of like playing games with Job here. <laughs> There's some sort of cosmic game going on. Is this, is this what God's doing? I don't, I don't think so. In fact, I think he's, he's teaching us something more about himself and our love or his love for us. And let's, let's look at that here. In Job 1.12, it says this. And behold, the Lord said to Satan, <clears throat> all that has All that he has in your hand, only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Again, this is this conversation between God and Satan. And we see that in the midst of Satan's idea, which is so important to understand, suffering is Satan's idea. It's his idea. He comes to God and he says that if he suffers then he's going to curse you and walk away. And God allows this suffering to happen, but there's a pivotal thing that he does here. He says, you can take away his stuff, but you cannot touch him. You cannot touch his health. Which is a fascinating phrase, because God here is displaying that I'm going to set the rules here. I'm the one who's in control. Even Satan will have to listen to what I am establishing and saying. And that's important to understand because as we look at the larger narrative of who God is, we read that in the beginning, God created. We read that it was good. And then when he created human beings, he said it was very good. This comes from the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And then we read in Genesis chapter 3 that God's people, his created people, they doubt God. They they question God. And in the midst of uh, disobeying God, they unleash pain, suffering, and disease into the world. And, And truthfully, when I hear this larger narrative... excuse me, I hear that that God here in this midst, that this is probably how he works with us today. That he hates suffering, but he's in control as well. He hates it, but it happens in our midst. And see, the danger of simple answers to the why of suffering in this world is that it all typically boils down to a matter of control. We want to control the circumstances that are in front of us. We want to have all of the answers, that if we know the why answer, then we can seem to get through that. But it's in this illusion of control that we live in as Western Americans, thinking that we are the masters of our own destiny, that the Bible teaches us that we're really not in control of everything. 
And because of that, that actually is a good thing. Which leads to the second thing that Job teaches us here. That we need to embrace that you do not need to know the why. In the midst of suffering, we do not need to fully understand the why. Check this out. In, in, Ro, er, in Job chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? This is an important point here. That word fear is literally uh, not like fear, like I'm afraid of a scary movie sort of thing, but it's one of respect, one of trust, one that knows that in this relationship between God Almighty, that he is God and that I am not. That, That Job has this right understanding of what his relationship looks like to God. And this is important because we need to understand what our relationship with God, the creator, looks like. Now, um, I imagine that maybe you've been in a relationship like this before. Uh, Maybe you've had somebody who has become a friend to you, and the only reason they became a friend to you was to get something from you. Ever had somebody like this before, right? Like maybe it's because you got a really sweet car and they just want to be able to ride in your car or maybe you have some extra money or something like that. Or maybe it's the fact that, that they know that you know some people that you want to get connected with and you're kind of the bridge to get to those other people. Anybody ever been in that spot before? Like where you're getting networked instead of befriended, Right? In fact, I would even say it may be a little bit different. That I can imagine that as some women that are here today, and not to stereotype, but I think it can work both ways, that there's been a time or a place where maybe somebody has approached you and they really wanted to be friends with you, but ultimately they wanted something more from you. And I think... I know that that makes all of us very uncomfortable. And I know that that is a sign of a very unhealthy relationship. That anybody who would go through that very thing would say that this is the mark of something that is incredibly unhealthy. And and I say all of that for this point. Job's relationship with God is not one like that. Job fears God out of respect that he is God, not that he can get something from God. But the challenge is this. For we, for us, as people, sometimes that's just exactly how we treat God. God, I'm going to follow you. I'll show up to church when things are going really good and nice in my life. God, I'll I'll give to you as long as it returns like double back to me. 
We treat God as if he is one of a conditional relationship. I mean, I've had people come to me before and say, you know what, the suffering that I'm experiencing in my life, it would be a lot easier if God would just tell me why. You're treating God like some immature, aggressive teenage boy or a malicious, egotistical tyrant. Trying to use God only for what he will give back to you. If you want to love God like he loves you, you have to come to grips. The fact that you will suffer in this world and you might not always know why. And this becomes a huge challenge for us. And in fact, from the very beginning, this is why Satan's response to God is so challenging, that this is exactly what Satan was pointing to God. The only reason that he fears you is because of the stuff that he's going to get. The challenge is for us, will we fear God even in the midst of suffering? See, Satan himself is cynical of our love or our fear that we have for God. And so with that, the question becomes, all right, so, so how do I walk in a trusting relationship with God? What, is that, what does that mean? How do, I, how do I do that? What does that look like on like a day-to-day basis? Well, Job gives us a beautiful answer here in Job 121 that Tegan read for us this morning, all right? It's this. And Job said, in the midst of his suffering, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Think about that for a second. Job has some wisdom to see. Naked I came into this world. I don't know if you know, but you came into this world naked like Job. Not with your Sunday best on, or looking fly or fine, or whatever metaphor or image you want to hold on to here. You came naked. In fact, naked and dependent upon other people for your own survival. Think about that for a second. And Job even says, naked, I'm going to leave this world. I'm not going to be able to take my stuff with me. It's all going to be gone. What Job understands is that life is not about stuff and status. It's about grace Life isn't about the stuff that you possess, your job, your status. I mean, if it's about that for you, I promise you that when suffering comes, life is going to crumble for you. And I promise that if your relationship with God is one that I'm only with you when things are good, you are missing the heartbeat of who God is. Because there is so much more 
And I guess my hope would be for, for us is that in the midst of our suffering, that we would actually be willing to boldly understand that God is working in the midst of this, that in the middle of our suffering, God is in it with us. And I think, I think there's a reason why we can't handle suffering or bad news. I think the reason why is because we immediately think the worst about God. That when suffering comes, we can't rationalize or understand because we just assume the worst of God. But I'll be very personal here because I'm not void of suffering. This is something that happens in my life and it happens because of the brokenness that exists in this world. And I'll be very truthful. I've come to grips with the fact that I can't understand the why of suffering in this world. But here's my larger conundrum that I face. And I hope you understand me when I say this. I can't seem to fully understand how God continues to love me even when I walk away. I'll be saying, well, hold on a second. Pastor Dave, you're not sure that God loves you? Man, you're a hypocrite, dude. No, no, like, like I get it rationally. And one of the great beauties of my job, whether I feel good or not, is that I get to come here and announce that God loves everybody, all right? That's like one of the perks of my job is I get to stand up and proclaim that. But if I were to be very honest, when I'm in the midst of my suffering and when I'm complaining to my wife or complaining to my friends, I'm not questioning why suffering happens. I'm questioning how can God still love me in the midst of this? And, and what I mean by that is the third piece of advice that Job gets to here is this, is that we need to clinch to the love that God has for me. And clinching to that, to the cross, clinching to his resurrection. Because deep down, when somebody criticizes me, Pastor Dave, and when they say, you know what, man, Church should have been a lot more fuller this week. I don't understand why so many people didn't come. It was probably Pastor Dave and, you know, those weird analogies that he says or something like that. Or when something goes down and, like, I feel insecure, then I start to, like, rationalize and put the love of other people ahead of the love that God has for me. And then I start to use that relationship as a conditional one. That God, if you really love me, that these seats would be filled to the back. Or I wouldn't be going through all this struggle and pain in my life. And we start to put our relationship with God into that category of status and stuff. But the reason that I struggle with the love that God has for me is because I buy into the lie that Satan used to God many years ago, that he'll love you 
when you prosper him. And so as a result, because of my lack of trusting God and his love for me, I need some proof. I need something more than some rational thought. I need something tangible that happened to remind me of what God thinks of me. And here's the good news. This is exactly what God did. I don't know if you heard me on that. This is exactly what God did. It wasn't a matter of some test. He says, I'm going to accomplish it for you by my death and resurrection. It's not some rational thought. It's historical fact. This is what God has done for you and for me to proclaim his love, that he would die on a cross and rise again from the dead so that we could without a doubt know where God stands in the relationship. Somebody say amen to that. That's the good news of who God is. That even as I doubt him, he's still God. He's still good. And he does it. (laughs) He does it. Not to gain something from us. Not because he needs our money or something silly like that. He does it for us as a gift for us. Not some conditional relationship, but for us. And that's why the mission of this church here is to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Not more like some other church. Not more like Pastor Dave, because then we're all in really big trouble. More like Jesus, the one who who lived the perfect life, the one who took our sin and our shame and he put it on himself, the one who experienced suffering on our behalf. And today my prayer for us as we dive into this book of Job and look at the wisdom that he shares in the midst of the storm and suffering in our life, my hope today would be three things. That one, that we wouldn't know or we wouldn't answer the why with simple answers. It's very complex. That we would embrace that I won't always know the why And lastly, and probably most importantly, that we would clinch to the love that God has for me. Hang on to that proof that he has. See, Jesus Christ came and suffered not so that we would not suffer, 
but when we suffer, we would become more like him. Because he suffered on our behalf, and his suffering is not some test in the relationship. His suffering is to teach us more about the love that he has for us and to proclaim once again that he is God, he's in control, and he, by his death and resurrection, has made a new plan, a new path for all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. And I pray, God, that as we experience life, as we go through those big moments of maybe questioning why this, why that, God, would we have the boldness and the strength, just rather the wisdom, to not get lost in the simple answers, but, but get lost in trusting in you, clinging to what you have done, and trusting that you're a good God who promises that you're making all things new. God, I, I can't even fathom what all that would do and look like in this world right now. But I don't have to. I get to trust you in that. And so, Father, I just pray for us as a church as we go through this journey, may this make you bigger and greater. And may it bring wisdom to us in the midst of the real things that are happening in our life, may it point us closer to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.